Mission Beach, the Jewel in the Crown, Jungle, Waterfalls, 14K Beach, Harold Holt's Refuge from Cold Victoria, home to actress Diane Salento, wife of 007, acclaimed artist Helen Wiltshire. Australia lost its innocence when Helen Mirren lost her clothes. Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast, Is It On? We are recording this on the afternoon of Thursday, the 14th of September. My name is, of course, Alice Workman and sitting across the desk from me in Canberra in Parliament House is the one and only Lane St. D. Lane. Hello. Alice, it is so good to be (laughs) here in Canberra with you. Lane, it's a very exciting time to be alive because... The postal survey forms are out. And Lane, I was shocked. I was absolutely floored to receive my postal survey form on Wednesday. They only started sending them out on Tuesday. I got mine on Wednesday afternoon when I checked my mailbox. Uh, Lane, do I now have to apologise for all the comments I've made about how shit House Australia Post is? Do I have to take them all back now? I, I think you do. I think you have to <laughs> issue a public apology to Australia Post, who you have defamed so regularly. Now, um, someone told me <laughs> yes. that so they've been sent out in these priority post envelopes, right? Which I've been told cost a dollar more than regular envelopes. Ooh. So there's 16 million, give or take, voters in the country. Yep. Will they be taking that $16 million out of the overpaid CEO of Australia Post? Or do you reckon Matthias has got that one in the bag in his, uh, I, I in think his it discretionary might, fund? I think it's in Matthias's discretionary <laughs> fund. <laughs> but, yes, a lot of people were very surprised at the rapid way the survey forms appeared in the mail. Yes, well, let's there see they if they make it to A, silent voters, or B, people that live anywhere outside a capital city. Now, we'll get to the latest on the postal survey in a minute, but first... Lane, what have we got on the show this week? It is a huge show this week, Alice. I sat down with the head of the Australian Christian Lobby, Lyle Shelton, who is one of the faces of the No campaign and always has a lot to say. Yeah, it's it was like it was as big as uh, um, uh, Floyd Mayweather versus that Irish guy in the boxing. It was like... This is the clash of the titans. Oh, look, I wouldn't go that far. No, I would. It was excellent. It was a firecracker of an interview. It is a must-listen interview and, you know, we'll get to that in a bit later. But um, Gallery Whispers is back. Gallery Whispers is coming back. Uh, But I think that we should maybe, before people get uh, too excited about the whispers, Mm. uh, we should crack on to the Fast Five. So uh, what is number one in this week's Fast Five stories you need to know in Australian politics? Lane. Oh, my God, Alice, you won't believe it. It's the postal survey. So, as you said, this week... Wait, wait, the what? What? (laughs) The bane (laughs) of my existence. So, this week, we saw the survey forms being posted out, as Mm -hmm. you say, on Tuesday. Some of them arrived by Wednesday. On the weekend, all the campaigns really ratcheted things up a notch. We saw the launch of Libs Nats Yes, attended by the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, on Sunday morning. 
And then on Sunday afternoon, there was a huge rally in Sydney, over 30,000 people there, according to reports mm. from the organisers, and that was attended by the opposition leader, Bill Shorten. Very funny signs, that rally. Some very, very funny. funny signs. You should definitely check out Alice's post of the most hilarious signs. It's obviously one of the best signs. There's just some good comedy. Just some really good content there. Uh, then on Wednesday at the National Press Club, we had the No Campaign Make Its Case, and the Coalition for Marriage will have a launch in Sydney as well this Saturday night. Also this week, the Parliament passed through protections for the Postal Survey. Now, this bill adds to the survey all the kinds of protections that would apply in a normal election. Mm -hmm. And it also makes it illegal to vilify, intimidate or threaten to harm anyone on the basis of their being LGBTI, mm -hmm. on their religious convictions or their views on the survey. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple of kind of caveats here. One, it only lasts for the length of the postal survey. So mm -hmm. it has a, it's got a sunset clause. If you want to bring a complaint based on this bill, you have to get it approved by the Attorney General, George Brandis. He has to say, okay, yeah, you can you can bring this complaint. So it has like that kind of um, consent mechanism. Is he giving out his personal email address for these complaints to be sent to? I highly doubt it. Um, <laughs> I'm I sure suspect, he uses a fax machine. I suspect Brandis is going to face um, somewhat of a deluge of people trying to <laughs> wield this legislation. Um, and anyway, if you are found to have vilified or intimidated mm. or, or someone or so on, you could be fined $12,000 under this bill. Oh, I tried to whistle then. <whistles> oh, that's just... Whoa! Let's keep going. <laughs> so the debate has been pretty ugly so far, as I think we all know. And as yeah. this bill was being debated in the Senate, we heard some really emotional speeches from gay and bisexual senators, including Penny Wong, Janet Rice and Louise Pratt. Pratt told the Senate about being handed an anti-marriage equality pamphlet when she was just at the shopping centre with her family. Let's take a quick listen. My three-year-old son was down the local shop with members of my own rainbow family just doing the shopping for the evening meal when they were handed an anti-marriage equality pamphlet. And the pamphlet is too hurtful to repeat here. But it wasn't even about marriage, the quality of my relationship with my partner or the quality of my son's dad's relationships. Louise Pratt there talking in the Senate. There was also a lot of fuss this week about security with the survey forms. Mm. So they got posted out. A lot of people were posting their forms online, being like, this is how I'm voting. Woohoo. And showing their secure barcode. No. And then the ABS came out and said, it's not a good idea to no, do this. No, of course it's not. Guys, um, stop, stop posting pictures. The, the one kind of good thing here is that the secure code being posted online can't be used for mass fraud because the barcode can only be counted once. <laughs> but it could jeopardise a single vote. Like I voter identity fraud. Yeah, so you, you can only count the barcode once. So people can't like steal a barcode and then use it to vote 200 times. But they could hypothetically vote for, for one person. Anyway, there were also a lot of people who realised that you can see through the envelope <laughs> at how people voted if you shine a torch through the envelope. Oh, my God. Now, this is a disaster. This was hailed as a problem by people because they were like what if there's a rogue Australia Post employee or, or you know just someone who I know that some people's workplaces are having like voting drives like bring in your ballot and, and we'll all post them together somebody could get involved in that see the envelopes you know I, I don't know secretly shine a torch through them. look as I explained it it sounds a little outlandish but it is possible anyway in this vein there was a tweet that started going a bit viral over the past couple of days in which Twitter user Dan Nolan claimed to be an employee of Australia Post in Chatswood who was throwing out no ballots now to be clear Dan Nolan is absolutely not an employee of Australia Post he does not have access to the mail 
your your survey forms at Chatswood <laughs> PO are, as we know, completely fine. We assume. But regardless, this tweet made its way all the way to Ray Hadley on Talkback Radio. Shock jock, Ray Hadley. Let's have a listen. Um, Australia Post have confirmed with us this morning he does not work for them, has never worked for them. He's not employed by them. Uh, I'm told that he spends a bit of time on social media and spends his day uh, trolling people online. So please ignore any postings from the aforementioned Dan Nolan because apparently he doesn't work and has never worked for Australia Post. Now, we conducted our own experiment with the envelopes. We did. And we discovered that the way that you get, the way it's folded, so the way it's pre-folded to you, leaves the your result on the outside, facing outside the envelope. And if you use a torch, you can see into it. Yeah. But if you change the way the paper is folded and fold it inwards on top of each other and put the result on the inside, then we experimented you can't see through. So if you are concerned about people throwing or looking at how you voted, turn the paper inside. Pro tip, you heard it here first on Is It On? Yeah, and the, right. the back of the envelope also tastes really gross. So. Thanks, Alice. Can sorry. we have number two now? Yes, sorry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number two is uh, about the media reform deal. Now, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so it hasn't actually gone through the parliament yet, but last night the government reached a deal with the Nick Xenophon team on top of the deal they already have with One Nation in order to pass through their big shake-up to Australia's media laws. Now, the quick, the main two things that these laws will be changing is they want to scrap the 75% reach rule. Now, that's the rule that prevents commercial broadcasters from owning licenses that mean they cover 75% or more of the population and they also want to scrap the two out of three rule that prevents companies from owning more than two of the three regulated media. So the regulated media is newspapers, radio stations and TV channels. So it means, for example, that Fairfax can own a newspaper and a radio station, but they can't own a TV station. So these laws would change that so people could own all three. So they're, they're rejecting the, the meatloaf song, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yes, I guess they are. She's like, no, meatloaf in Australian politics. Jeez, it's, it's a great <laughs> reference, Lane. Now, um, who's most likely to benefit from these changes, I hear you asking? Well, it's one man, you might not have heard of him, but his name is Rupert Murdoch. Ah. He owns the national newspaper in this country called The Australian as well as, mm-hmm. as well as many city and regional papers. So he owns The Telegraph, The Courier Mail, The Herald Sun, etc., etc. He also owns some radio and he owns Australia's pay TV network, Foxtel. So, so why is this interesting for Rupert Murdoch? Well, because he is currently in a court battle to stop the American TV company CBS from buying uh, 10 Network, Channel 10, which went into receivership. Um, the media laws currently prevent uh, Murdoch's son Lachlan from buying 10 because they own radio and newspapers where 10 operates. So that's the two out of three rule. And the person he wants to buy it with is Bruce Gordon and he runs regional broadcaster Win TV. So that would break the 75% reach rule. So if their legal challenge is successful and they knock down the CBS bid and they want to make a bid, passing these laws through mean it's no longer illegal for them to buy Channel 10. Mm. So, yes. Labor and the Greens are against these changes. Mm-hmm. So, they've the government to get the numbers in the Senate, they bypass Labor and the Greens and they've done a deal with the Nick Xenophon team and One Nation. So, we don't know how this is going to play out in legislation yet or whether it'll be a separate legislation or amendments because it hasn't passed through, but 
What we know is that One Nation have gotten $12 million in funding for community radio and a whole bunch of stuff to do with the ABC. They've got an inquiry into the ABC's competitive neutrality. They've, um, they're going to force the ABC to focus on regional and rural Australia more. The ABC will have to publish the pay of any staff and on-air talent paid more than $200,000 a year. And One Nation wanted inserted into the ABC charter that they are required to be, quote, Fair and balanced. And Lane, fair and balanced is? Uh, drum roll. The slogan for US right-wing news channel Fox News, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Oh. Anyway, so quickly, what did the Xenophon team get? Well, they got a $50 million grant fund for regional and small publishers that are Australian-owned and operated with a turnover of between $300,000 and $30 million a year. They got a cadetship program. They got an inquiry into how Google and Facebook operate in Australia. And they also got an extension to community TV licenses. So community TV was going to shut down in Australia, but he got an extension so that community TV is going to roll on until at least June next year and maybe further if they get... More deals out of it. So, yeah. So, to sum up, this is a big win for not only Rupert Murdoch, but for the government in general because they've been trying to pass these laws for the last 18 months. Um, so, they've gotten this deal on media reforms, but, Lane, still no deal on their plan to cut funding from unis and increase uh, student fees. That was meant to be debated in the Senate this week, but they've been too busy with media reforms, so it hasn't come up. So, higher ed staff still one to watch. What is number three? Number three is no jab, no pay, which really made a splash when they were first announced. These are the new laws that the government has introduced to dock welfare payments by $28 a fortnight for parents who don't immunise their children. So at the moment, anyone who doesn't keep their kids up to date with immunisations only gets money taken off them at the end of the year. Under this new no jab, no pay law, they lose the same amount of money, but it's taken out of their welfare payment fortnightly. And the government hopes that this will give parents an incentive to make sure their kids are immunised. Immunisation rates in Australia have gone up since the no jab, no play policy. It was introduced in January 2016. It prevents kids from going to childcare if they're not immunised. But we still fall short of the 95% immunity needed to stop or slow the spread of disease in Australia. So maybe this new crackdown will change that. We'll have to wait and see. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is number four, Alice? Lane, I'm calling number four... The power of Peter Dutton. That's very dramatic. Mm. Mm. Immigration Minister Peter Dutton wants the power to ban anything he decides poses a, quote, risk inside Australia's detention centres. And this includes mobile phones. So the government have introduced laws into Parliament this week that would give authorised Border Force officers greater power to search for prohibited items, so whatever they decide to put on this list of risk, without a warrant. They want to be able to search for them without a warrant. Now, why are they doing this? It's because in February, a court told Border Force they weren't allowed to confiscate phones from detainees in immigration detention. And uh, Border Force weren't too happy about this. So um, Peter Dutton reckons that mobile phones are enabling criminal activity within detention centres, including, at least in one case, he thinks that mobile phones have been used to organise contract killings of another detainee. He also reckons that they've been used to arrange escapes, riots, drug distribution, as well as maybe access to child pornography. Um, but I think it's quite interesting that a man who accidentally sent a text calling a journalist a mad witch to that journalist, <laughs> the mistake we've all made, 
We've all sent texts about we, someone to that person. We have all sent texts. He was just particularly unlucky that he was sending it to, yeah. the, at the time, the editor of the Sunday Telegraph. Yes, the exactly. Political so editor. I just think it's interesting that the man that accidentally sent a text to the person the text was about yep. uh, has decided he wants to crack down on mobile phones. What is number five? Number five, we are back to the best Twitter war of last week, <laughs> which has now turned into a physical war. And that is the energy wars. Okay, war is a a physical (laughs) corridor confrontation, but I will get get to that. We've spoken about energy for the last few podcasts, talked about how the government is trying to convince energy retailer AGL to keep the ageing Liddell coal-powered station open for another 10 years or to sell it to another operator instead of closing it down in 2022. The PM met with AGL this week again, but I'm not going to talk about that meeting. Instead... I want to talk about how Energy Minister Josh Frydenberg and Labor's Joel Fitzgibbon got into this weirdly awkward argument when they walked past each other in the corridors of Parliament this week. (laughs) Fitzgibbon represents the Hunter in New South Wales, which is where this coal plant is situated, and he kicked it off by saying to Frydenberg, I think you're embarrassed because every day you've got to roll out and support the Prime Minister's desperate attempts to mislead the Australian community. And then Frydenberg confronted him and called him no coal Joel (laughs) repeatedly and conveniently did it right in front of the entire press pack. Take a listen. Do you know how important it is to keep jobs in the Hunter Valley? And so don't be no coal Joel. You come up to the Hunter Hunter next week and I'll introduce you to some of my power station workers. They'll probably be the the first time you've met one. I assume you want to meet with Delta and we said they're prepared to buy in Liddell. And we can talk about transitioning jobs into the new modern energy economy we're going to have in the Hunter. And what are they calling Bill Shorten at the moment? What's his energy nickname? Blackout Bill. Blackout Bill and no coal Joel. Sounds like the worst country band ever. (laughs) Turnbull got up in question time and referred to Blackout Bill, as many Australians now now know him by... Earlier this the week. nickname that I invented. <laughs> I have coined it and everyone else will follow it. <laughs> I don't know if it's really caught on yet, but we shall see. Anyway, corridor clash on coal, very awkward. Now, last week on the pod, we talked to some people from the yes side of the postal survey on same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. That was right after the high court decision, giving yep. it the green light. Yep, yep. So this week, we thought we'd get someone on from the no camp. Yeah, that's right, Lane. So you sat down with Lyle Shelton now. He's the head of the Australian Christian Lobby and spokesperson for the No Camp. Yeah, he's a very prominent person in the No Camp. He's one of their best media performers and is known for being extremely on message all the time. There's actually a line in the campaigning document that made me laugh thinking about Lyle. It's this document that the No team gives to its volunteers to to tell them how to door knock. And there's a line in it that says, stay on message until it makes you sick. That's when you know you're on track. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, here's Lyle Shelton. Lyle Shelton, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Pleasure, Lyle. So you're the managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby, which is part of the Coalition for Marriage. Now, the ACL, it's it's not a church. It's a non-denominational Christian group mm-hmm. that you describe as a, a grassroots movement with about 80,000 supporters. Yeah, 100,000 now, actually. 100,000. We, we haven't kept our social media up to date, but yeah, it's, it's over 100,000 now. Sure. So that 100,000, that is 
you know, statistically speaking, a, a very small percentage mm. of the Australian population and, and you're a very prominent voice in the marriage debate. Do you think it's fair that those 100,000 supporters get such a strong voice in, in this debate as opposed to other groups? Well, um, the Liberal Party has 40,000 members and um, they have the Prime Minister. So, um, look, I, I think anyone who knows anything about politics and political advocacy knows that it's committed people. Um, as, as CJ Craig from the West Wing said, it's, it's those who show up uh, that make a difference in politics. And uh, we're, we're an advocacy group. We have uh, 100,000 supporters uh, who uh, receive our communications. Uh, many of them donate to us and uh, allow us to do the work that we can do, but uh, in a participatory democracy, it's those who participate that uh, have the ability and the capacity to uh, have an influence, and that's what we're seeking to do. And there's a lot of different views on on the issue of same-sex marriage and other, you know, any issue really among Australia's Christian community. I know there are Christians who do say the ACL doesn't speak for mm. me. I, they're irritated that the ACL is such a prominent voice in terms of Christianity. What what do you make of those criticisms? Oh, look, people are obviously free to disagree with us, and um, and I respect that. Uh, we have really good relations with um, major denominational leaders and, and, and church leaders throughout the country. We don't claim to speak for them. We are not their voice. Uh, we do work, though, through relationship and obviously through grassroots. And um, look, uh, I'm disappointed that there's some people who um, who go under the Christian banner and, and say they don't agree with Christian teaching on, on certain issues, whether it's marriage or, or anything else. Now, it's a free country. They're welcome to hold those views. But there's no doubt that mainstream Christianity believes uh, that marriage is between a man and a woman. All of the Christian denominations in Australia believe that, and that's that's part of their um, their platform, their, their um, teaching. So uh, there's nothing unusual about a, a Christian group like ours arguing for Christian uh, teaching and for that to influence um, public policy, particularly when it relates to, to marriage. It's not just a religious view. I mean, there, there, there's obviously a theological consideration, um, but there's also a sociological consideration, and um, that's very much part of our concern as well. At the press club yesterday, Lyle, you said in, in response to a question that you don't think homophobia really exists in Australia. Since the postal survey kicked off, I, I know that pretty much everyone in, in, in Australia, I think, will, will agree that there's been a, you know, a lot of back and forth on both sides, a lot of uncivil remarks on both sides. But we have seen this huge swell of anonymous flyers and posters that are very, very offensive to LGBTI people and, and their families. Do you really think that there, there is very little evidence of homophobia in Australia? I think um, what I said yesterday in response to your question was I didn't think there was much homophobia. Look, there are people who have irrational fears about all sorts of things um, uh, in, in Australia. Um, uh, obviously, there are some people who, who do say and do hateful things, and we've seen that on the fringes of, of both sides. But... Um, what we have seen, though, which is different, is that we ha we have leaders uh, and prominent voices who aren't these fringe elements um, on the yes side who, who are saying incredibly vitriolic and, and even sexually violent things, um, such as Benjamin Law. Uh, now, he, he claims it's a joke to talk about sexual violence towards people like like me um, on, the, on the no side. Now, there is no one of equivalence of his standing on our side saying those sort of things. Yes, you can point to to fringe, uh, um, you know, people saying terrible things uh, in, in the Twitter sphere or, or random callers on talkback radio, but you won't see that amongst 
the leaders and the prominent voices on our side. Well, and that, just that's to, that's just to give you difference. one example of that, Marriage Alliance, which is a, a group that's part of the Coalition for Marriage, it is a very mainstream part of the No campaign. Mm. On, on their website, they've got this line, continuing to raise children in a same-sex parent household amounts to child abuse, no matter how well-intentioned the parents may be. I mean, mm. is, is that an example of something that you see as a, a respectful thing or, or a... I suppose, a well-reasoned contribution to the debate? Look, I think that there is a, a wider context to, to that um, phrase, and I wouldn't use that phrase. I wouldn't say that um, uh, a lesbian couple or a gay couple that are raising children are abusing uh, that child. I don't think that's helpful. Uh, but I think there is a discussion that does need to be held, uh, and, um, and I think that's what this blog is trying to um, raise awareness of that there are studies that show that that, that there can be detrimental effects on children uh, from not having their biological mother and father. I mean, you could say all all things have context. Do, do sure. you think it's fair that you offer, I suppose, a good faith interpretation to, to Marriage Alliance and you don't offer a good faith interpretation to many of the other examples well, coming well, from the Well, Marriage Alliance site? haven't said that someone should be hate-effed, you know. Um, but they have they have accused same-sex parents of child abuse, which is also very, very extreme. I mean, child abuse is, is one of the most serious things well, you can I, say about someone. Yeah, they're, they're not, I don't think they're talking, you know, th- what they're saying in that is that there are consequences uh, for children in not having their biological mother and father. And they're, they're quoting some research that has been peer-reviewed, um, that is sound academic research that shows there are issues now. The Sullen study I think, has been quite contested in terms of what it actually shows about stable every, same-sex families. That, everything that um, has been done in the academic space from our side is hotly contested. Um, Mark Regeneris, you know, was put up on charges of academic misconduct. He was cleared of that, yet that hasn't stopped the LGBTIQ lobby saying that his work is discredited. It has not been. Sullins's work has not been discredited. Um, there are real issues that have been raised in these studies. Now, um, I've, I've personally talked to Mark Regeneres. I don't know Peter Sullins. Um, but he would say, look, his research is, is indicative. He said it's not it's not the last word on all, all of this, but it is a substantive study, as is the, the Sullins study. There are concerns and there are issues that are coming up in the academic literature that support uh, the idea that there are poor outcomes for children uh, raised in same-sex uh, relationships. It's a very new phenomenon. Um, we, we, we're, I guess, engaging in an experiment, a uh, social experiment. And uh, I, I think, you know, it's fair to make commentary about that. Now, would and I use also the term... But, but I, I don't think the term child abuse is helpful. And, and I, I would, you know, I wouldn't think that's a, a respectful thing for Marriage Alliance to be saying. But that shouldn't stop us from having a discussion about uh, the outcomes for children uh, from not having their biological mother and father, from being deliberately denied their biological mother and father. But should the huge body of consensus research saying that there actually aren't any uh, negative outcomes and, and that these children are on par, you know, equal yeah. with their the kids of heterosexual couples, I mean, should, should that kind of stop yeah. those kinds of comments about child abuse being made? Uh, well, well, there shouldn't be comments about child abuse being made. Full stop. Well, there uh, are, there are many being yeah, made. Yeah, and, and look, I've I've addressed that. And, and look, as yep. I said, I, you know, I don't think Marriage Alliance should use that term. I think that's a little bit over the top. But they should be allowed to, as as we do at ACL, we make no apology for this. To pointing to the academic work. I mean, Sullen study and Regeneris and these other ones that um, that are not liked 
by the LGBTIQ political movement, and I understand why they don't like them, but it doesn't mean they're not real and that they're not valid research. In the Coalition for Marriage Volunteer Training Sessions, a trainer has been encouraging people to use the acronym LGBTIQ because, and this is a quote from the session, because people are terrified of that slogan. Have you been um, tuning into our volunteer sessions, Lane? Not not me personally. (laughs) Um, You've had your spies there, which is fine. Well, not spies, just just people participating. Um, Um, Look, um, look, I think I, I want to ask you, like, yeah, what, what does LGBTIQ stand for? I mean, it stands for a community of people with various sexual well, orientations and gender identities. We are told, um, we're told um, often that things like uh, safe schools and that the transgender concerns that many parents legitimately have uh, is a conflation to raise that with same-sex marriage. And yet, uh, the LGBTIQ and and there's other acronyms that are now added onto that, um, some which include some pretty extreme things, um, are, 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 is, is part of this rainbow political movement. Now, now people should be allowed to talk about this. And yes, um, for many people uh, who, who are concerned about their children being taught radical sexual concepts, yep. even as early as primary school, they well, are terrified. I, I know, I know, know that this is, uh, and you, you've had plenty of opportunity to talk about these connections with safe schools. It's been kind of happening all week. What I want to ask you is, why is the Coalition for Marriage encouraging Australians to be afraid of, of LGBTIQ people? I mean, the, the agenda that, that you claim yeah. is one thing, but ultimately this is a group of people in the community and and that kind of language asking people to bring it up because people are terrified doesn't that ferment fear against a minority uh, I don't think that's the motivation behind that I think many parents are rightly concerned and and afraid of what their children will be taught at school I mean when, when we found you know instruction on penis tucking and chest binding in the safe schools material that was not in the safe schools material uh, it was in material promoted by safe schools minus 18 uh, is material that safe schools promotes um, it was and- not part of the safe schools coalition well, but re- well regardless. If, if it wasn't, Lane, then you need to answer the questions to why safe schools. I mean, their logos all there together. The, the web links uh, were promoted um, by safe schools to children in schools. So, look, you know, you can you can quibble about that, but there's no doubt safe schools were promoting that. Safe schools promoted the gender fairy, which tells four-year-olds only you can know whether you are a boy or a girl. No one can tell you. Mummy and Daddy okay. can't tell you if you're a boy or a girl. Back, back now, to the many question. Parents, no, 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 no this is the question. This well, is why you, you talk about terrified. About I would be terrified um, if school was giving a storybook to my four-year-old, and, and my children are a bit older than that now, but if, um, if, if the kindergarten where my children were going gave my children a storybook that said, only you can know if you're a boy or a girl, and this is the T in LGBTIQ, um, then I would be terrified. So I think it's quite appropriate for people to know the facts about this. And, and this is all part, it's relevant to the same-sex marriage debate. I'm, I'm sorry, Lane, I know that you know many don't want to hear this, but um, it's true. And uh, we know from Benjamin Law, Ros Ward, the Labor Party want to make safe schools funded by the federal government. They want to legislate same-sex marriage in 100 days and fund safe schools. This is a package deal. The question, the question is actually less, you know, not really at all about safe schools, but it's about the fact that LGBTIQ is a, is a community of people. I mean, do you how how big do you think that community is? Do you think that every LGBTIQ person is a is a raving activist who? No, I don't. Wants no, all, and, no, far well, from it. Well, if so, and, and, and why think, do, why do you invoke all of these people in your campaigning? Why do you lump them all in as as being part of this radical agenda when mostly they're just you well, know the lesbian well, couple down the street? 
I think um, it's incumbent upon those who are involved in this political movement. And I, I take your point. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't know the context of what was said in the volunteer training, uh, but in terms of a political movement, as opposed to people, and I think you can separate the two. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I think there's lots of gay people who are not politically motivated. Uh, I, by, I don't think the Coalition Rainbow. for Marriage. Uh, uh, branding does separate the two. It, it well, well, seems well, to very clearly opinion. lump them together. I, 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 well, I don't think so. Look, uh, I'm one of the leaders in the Coalition for Marriage. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm not against any people. But what I recognise and what our coalition recognises is there's a political agenda here. And now that's fine. It's a democracy. People are allowed to push political agendas. And a political agenda is being pushed in the name of LGBTIQ under the rainbow flag. It's the banner of this political movement. And it means something. It That flag has meaning. It has consequences for what children are taught about gender. It has consequences for taking gender out of the Marriage Act. And uh, people need to be aware of this. And many parents, uh, rightly, are terrified about their children being told they can wear a dress at school, told that they're not a boy or a girl, um, and being taught radical concepts such as penis tucking and chest binding and, and many other things that you've got two virginities. Um, we could go on and on, Lane. Um, people are, parents, many parents are terrified about these things and they need to know before they vote. One of the things that the Coalition for Marriage says again and again is that, you know, they, they link same-sex marriage to having children and, mm. you know, as as you well know, same-sex couples are already having children. So given that this won't actually make any legal difference to same-sex couples' ability to have children, is the concern that same-sex marriage will make gay people feel their families are acceptable? And is, is opposing this wanting people in same-sex families to continue feeling like their families are unacceptable. I don't want anyone to feel like they or their children are unacceptable. That's not my aim. And, and um, I, I feel like that's, um, you know, that that's trying to, I guess, attribute motives to us. Um, I mean, look, what is your motive then my, if, if, my, it's, my not motive, legal, if my, it's not any legal difference? Um, well, well, there is legal difference, Lane, um, because as you know, there's very limited opportunities for same-sex couples to raise children. Um, yes, there is adoption uh, available, but that's limited for heterosexual couples. There is not an unlimited supply of children uh, up for adoption. Um, there's only 300 a year in Australia. and that includes I, I'm not saying that same-sex no, couples no, no, and but, but kids is... is unrelated to the law. I'm saying that a change in the same-sex marriage law will not legally mean changes to anything to do with adoption or, or surrogacy or anything like that. Well, I think it will because... How? Can... What's the legislative um, part right, that will well, change? Well, if you're going to have... Marriage equality. Um, marriage is a compound right to found and form a family. That's what the United Nations says. That's what common sense says. Um, now, no one's suggesting that we should have gay marriage and it just ends with the wedding ceremony. Um, I mean, some people are suggesting that, but there's far more to a gay marriage than a gay wedding ceremony. There's consequences that flow, and that that's that flows after any wedding ceremony. Uh, because children are a part of, of marriage generally. Not all couples have children, but most do, and marriage is orientated around children. Now, there are some severe limitations upon the ability of uh, same-sex couples to access children. Now, the first limitation is biological. Uh, the second is legal. Um, we uh, have a situation in Australia where we've had three parliamentary inquiries forced on the politicians by people who were donor-conceived, unhappy 
that they didn't know who their dad was. But, well, sorry, I'm, so, I'm sorry so, to stop. So but to you have, do, no, no, you do but, have a chance to say this on many, many platforms. But, but, but you asked me the question. You asked me the question. I asked you a question about whether if your motivation is not to do with, with legalities because we, we both know that a change to the same-sex marriage law will not automatically change parenting law. What is your motive? Is it to make gay people feel their families no, are unacceptable? No, my motive is to ensure that wherever possible, every child in Australia is allowed to know the love of their mother and their father. Sometimes children miss out because of tragedy or desertion. They should never miss out because of government policy. If religious freedoms are radically expanded in the way that you and the Coalition for Marriage is, is calling for, what in that would stop discrimination based on race? Would, would, how would you prevent people from wielding their religious freedom in order to res- refuse to serve, for instance, interracial couples' weddings on the basis of their religious beliefs? Well, well I would never accept that. And, and um, I'm not calling for uh, an expansion of religious freedoms. What, what we're about to see, if the yes case uh, succeeds and if um, same-sex marriage comes in, is we will see a retraction in freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Uh, so our concern is only to allow the status quo to continue. It's up to the parliamentarians how you work that out, but we know that the same-sex marriage lobby doesn't want the status quo to continue in terms of freedoms. They, they want people uh, who issue letters like... Um, Archbishop Julian Porteous to be fined and punished for for publicly promoting man-woman marriage and the idea that children should be allowed wherever possible to have their mum and dad. They want those sort of things to be fined by um, tribunals. Um, They want to take away the right of a a business to um, not participate in a definition of marriage that goes against their conscience. Now, in terms of interracial, that's a completely different matter. Um, uh, Christians were at the forefront of of, uh, dismantling racism, and I'm very proud of that. Um, But this is not about racism. This is about a different definition of marriage. Um, interracial marriage has nothing to do with the definition of marriage. It's, it's male-female, and the race doesn't matter. Um, marriage is colourblind. Uh, but when you come to redefining marriage, people should be allowed to act on their conscience as they can now. But after this change goes through, uh, they won't be allowed to. And, you know, we'll see people up on bigotry charges. I want to go back to what you said about the, the status quo. Currently, the status quo is that it, it, it is illegal to refuse service to people on the basis of their sexual orientation and except for, for churches and religious, religious organisations. The Coalition for Marriage has called for that refusal of, refusal of service sorry, to extend to um, individuals on the basis of their religious belief, to individuals on the basis of their conscientious belief. I mean, I understand that that's what you're making the case for and you're allowed to make that case. But how is that not an expansion if it is much more than what the status quo currently is? I don't think it's an expansion. Um, How is it not, though? Well, at the moment, you don't have gay marriage, so... So, um, a, but you, a, people can't refuse service. I, I, I know people. Well, well, that's because we don't have gay weddings. Um, well, so, we do have gay people though, and people currently sure. can't and, refuse and, service and gay, on the basis people, of sexual orientation. That's right, and, and nor should they be. And, and no, I don't know of anyone who. I mean, the examples I've cited from the US where this, where the rubber has hit the road in terms of this. People like Baron Allstutzman. She she wasn't refusing to serve gays. Um, for well, years, she, she was. No, no ultimately, she wasn't. no, no. Um, I don't know whether you heard what I said at the press club yesterday, um, Rob Ingersoll and his boyfriend were clients of Baronel for years. They were actually friends. Um, she served them quite happily, knowing they were gay. Uh, but when Washington State changed the law uh, so that gay marriage came in, they came to her and said, would you please provide the flowers for our gay wedding? 
And she said, look, I, I love you guys. Um, we've been friends. But, um, you know, I, I believe that marriage is a man-woman thing and, and that's where I need to draw the line. Now, they didn't respect her view. Um, the Attorney General of Washington State didn't respect her view and she was sued. And uh, she's lost her cases in the lower courts and uh, now it's gone all the way to the US Supreme Court. A 71-year-old grandmother who doesn't hate gays, who's not a bigot, uh, but is on trial for bigotry uh, in the US Supreme Court simply because she wanted to draw a line uh, because of her conscientiously held belief about what marriage is. So just a just a quick kind of answer here. So you don't see refusing service to a gay wedding as being the same as refusing service to a gay person? Uh, no, no, I don't. Okay. I want to put some hypotheticals to you, Lyle. I mean, I, I know that you're... Um, pro-religious exemptions for businesses and individuals. I want to ask you about some um, examples in which non-religious Australians who might have an opposition to same-sex marriage mm. based on secular belief, conscientious yeah, yeah. belief, yeah. Um, should a, a banker who has no religious beliefs, who just, you know, um, dislikes gay marriage for whatever reason, if they're asked to give a loan to a gay couple for their wedding, should they have the right to refuse? Oh, I don't think it needs to extend uh, to, to that level, Lane. I think okay. that is, that is um, hypothetical. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just about religious uh, exemptions. I mean, there are people who aren't religious, um, who own wedding venues and, and the like. Um, I think freedom to to not have to accept uh, the state's new definition of marriage should be allowed to prevail. I, I mean, if what uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Bill Shorten and George Brandis and Tanya Plibersek and Mark Dreyfus are telling us that there is no consequences, then why can't people be free to believe what they've always believed about marriage and to live that out? in a post-same-sex marriage world. It's obvious that you can't. So we need to drop the pretense that there's no consequences for people, whether you're religious or not. Um, and this will about, affect people's freedoms. What about people who work in, say, the Department of Births, Deaths and Marriages? Should they be able to refuse to process forms to do with same-sex weddings on, on the basis of either their religious or conscientious belief? Look, um, I, I think you know reasonable accommodations uh, should be made for people who, who have those conscientious objection. Um, is that something the Coalition for Marriage would, look, would I want in legislation? I haven't thought through that, but I know that that's, um, that's something that's become an issue for people in the United Kingdom and in, in the United States. And uh, I think uh, if someone is working in a, in a bureaucratic capacity and um, they're asked to you know, process forms, again, that go against their consciously, conscientiously held beliefs about marriage, um, and if there's someone else in the department who's, who's able and willing to do that sort of work, um, I, I can't see why... Uh, someone who has that strong belief shouldn't be allowed to be rostered onto other duties or, 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 or you know, that particular uh, case be given to someone else to and do. And if there's no one else there who can do the work? Well, I think that's that would be an extremely unlikely situation, Lane. Um, okay. But thanks for asking. The ACL submission to the Senate inquiry on the same-sex marriage draft bill last year, it had a, a kind of a paragraph in it that criticised part of the Labor platform that opposes gay conversion therapy. Uh, it said it's cause for concern. Does your call for, I suppose, freedom for parents' rights... You're talking rights, about the, um, the Queensland submission, are you? Um, I'm, I'm talking one? about the submission to the, the inquiry on the Brandis bill. Oh, okay. It was in November 2016. Right. Yep. It, so should freedom for mm -hmm. parents extend to the freedom for those parents to send their kids to ex-gay therapy? I uh, mean, that's what, well, that's well, what that, the, they're it called for. They're all loaded for. terms. Um, look, I think anyone who, who wants to seek help for, for any issue that they might be facing in their life should be free to do that. Should people uh, be forced um, to go to conversion therapy no absolutely not now you know children um they are under the care and responsibility of their parents so 
I think if someone's a minor, I think uh, you know it, it is up to their parents, um, and, and I think pr- parental rights should be respected. Now, you know, th- there's obviously got to be context and and care and um, and uh, compassion in in all of these situations, but uh, ultimately, um, you know, children are. Uh, in the in the care and uh, the legal responsibility of of their parents. So so parents should should have that right. I mean, you you are you do oppose Labor's away... banning of of gay conversion therapy. You think it should be an option there for parents who want to send their kids to it? I I, th- I don't think there should be any diminution of parental rights. And does the does the um I suppose. You know, we've obviously already come up against each other in this conversation on various, mm. you know, evidence and, and bodies of research. But does the body of research showing that conversion therapy is is very harmful? It's been denounced by major medical organisations in Australia. Look, does that concern I, I you? I haven't looked at all of that, but um, I think anything that involves forcing people is is wrong. I don't think anyone should be forced to do anything. Um, so I could see how forcing people. Um, to go into any therapy is not a helpful way to approach something. Okay. As when you when you say forcing, do you mean parents forcing their kids in, into therapy, or who are you talking about in this forcing? Well, scenario? I th- I th- look, I, you know, you're using very loaded terms. Um, I mean, if if a parent wanted to take uh, their child to a counsellor for for help. Um, I think that should be up to them. I, I don't think that's you know that I don't think that's um, unreasonable. Um, but if you're talking about gay conversion therapy, which involves forcing people into a particular realm of therapy, um, I, I don't think that's something that um, that uh, is is going to be helpful or, or is is productive. Okay, another. Synonym- but, but I think you know the, the trouble with some of this um, is, um, you know, certainly Labor in Victoria is was looking at. Um, at, at banning even people being able to access any counselling uh, for for issues of, of unwanted sexual attraction. Now, oh, that's not freedom either. I mean, there, there's plenty of people who, who want to get counselling for a whole range of issues and there should be no limitations on, on what people are allowed to get counselling for. But um, uh, the Victorian government certainly was seeking to, to ban people even of their own free will accessing counselling. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, finally, I want to ask you, you hear from people all day, every day, telling you that the things you say are wrong. <laughs> you know, sometimes those are people on Twitter, but it also extends to government ministers who who contradict you on policy, LGBTI people who say you've got it really wrong on their lived experiences mm. of prejudice. Do you really believe everything you say or is it part of the performance <laughs> of the No campaign? Uh, that's a, a interesting question. Um, I, I, I do believe everything I say. I don't say things lightly, Lane. Um, uh, the, I'm very happy to come and submit myself to your questioning and to give an answer and, and to be challenged. Um, and it's good to be challenged because it makes you go away and think. And, and we've thought through these issues over many years. I, I'm very satisfied that uh, the things we are saying are true, they are supportable by evidence, and uh, I do believe them. And, um, yes, there's a contest for ideas going on, and I hope that makes our society all the better um, I think for too long our ideas have been dismissed and um, people have said nothing to see here. Well, two of us got up at the press club yesterday and, and yeah, we, we said some things that run counter to the narrative um, from the Prime Minister down, uh, saying that there's no consequences. I, I'd defy anyone to say that what Karina and I said at the press club yesterday uh, was not true. It was all supportable. It's all demonstrable. And um, yes, I, I do believe it. And And in doing that, I mean no disrespect to any of my fellow Australians. This is a debate about public policy and its consequences. It's not a commentary on whether um, I hate or love anyone. Um, The reality is I love all people. Uh, I'm not motivated by hate, but 
when I look at the evidence, I can see serious consequences and problems with the public policy proposal that's on the table. Lyle Shelton, thank you so much for joining us on Is It On? Pleasure, Elaine. Happy to. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. Now, this is Lane's first gallery whispers. But I understand, Lane, you've got some gold to bring to the table. What is your first whisper? Alice, I am so excited for my first whisper. You've talked in gallery whispers before about how Joe Hockey, when he was treasurer, Parliament security wouldn't let him bring his puppy into the building. But I found out this week that when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister, she would bring her puppy in because C1, her Comgar car, would drive straight into the courtyard outside the PM's office and she didn't have to go through security. Oh my god, Lane, is this the Cavoodle Reuben? It is the Cavoodle Reuben. <laughs> Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. Lane, as you and the internet, I'm sure, are very aware, Peter Dutton recently made a bold move and decided to shave his last remaining follicles from his head. He yes. shaved his head, Lane, he shaved his head. Someone told me that when he was contemplating the full shave, he asked the women in his office to Google pictures of men with shaved heads so he knew what he was in for. And so they printed a picture off for him of guess who, Lane? Who? I don't know. British action star... Jason Statham of the Transporter movie franchise. That's incredible. And Peter Dutton saw this picture of Jason Statham with a shaved head and said, Oh yeah, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's shave that head. Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. Olivia Newton-John. Yes, that's right. Oh my God. That Olivia Newton-John. That one from Greece. Was in the building this week, asking the government to spend more money on cancer research. And everyone says how amazing and how lovely she is in person. And put up with everyone's jokes about Greece and physical. And took photos with fans for hours and hours. So go Olivia Newton-John. But whenever she took a photo, she would say to the photographer, up, up, lift the camera up. And she wanted people to lift the camera up before they took a photo. And she's right, because it is a much more flattering angle. So, well done, Olivia Newton-John. Gallery whispers. No double chins. Gallery whispers. Gallery Gallery whispers. whispers. Last week, we were talking about the phenomena that is Waxit, W-A-Xit. Indeed. I saw Employment Minister and WA Liberal Senator... Michaelia Cash this week, and I said, Senator Harlow, 
I'm really keen to get you to come on the podcast and I'd love to talk to you about Wax It. And she said, <laughs> how dare you ask me that? It is none of your business. And then lent in real close and said, but if you must know, maybe I do. And then winked at me. <laughs> block episode uh but i think we need to crack on with bin juice that's the stories we didn't think got enough attention in the media this week lane my bin juice is about medicinal cannabis now i've mentioned on the podcast before that in june the senate voted to fast track access to imported medicinal cannabis for a small group of people uh that are terminally ill so people that are about to die Um, They've already been prescribed it by their doctors because medicinal cannabis is legal in Australia, but they're currently under the current process. They just have to wait for more than six months to get access to it. So in June, the Senate voted that uh, dying people could get access to medicinal cannabis within days as opposed to waiting months. Well, three days after the Senate decided to fast track medicinal cannabis, the government wrote a letter to people that import medicinal cannabis telling them to ignore the Senate's decision and they threatened to remove people's licences if they made medicinal cannabis available. Needless to say, the Greens, who were behind the move to Fast Track, are not happy. When they found out, they were furious. Greens leader Richard Di Natale said it's proof that the government is ignoring patient care and letting its ignorance and conservative ideology get in the way of helping people. He said he's, he's called it cruelty. He said it's, it's simple cruelty because the doctors have prescribed these patients who are dying medicinal cannabis so they can relieve their suffering in their last days and the government are blocking their access to it. So what the Greens have done is they've introduced a private member's bill to stop the government blocking people from medicinal cannabis and this would also make sure that imported and Australian-made cannabis will be provided to dying patients as soon as possible. Now, fun fact, we mentioned before that Olivia Newton-John was in the building to talk about cancer. Well, she was also here to talk about medicinal cannabis because she's used it to alleviate the cancer that she's currently fighting. And her husband is involved with medicinal cannabis over in the US and so is her daughter. So when she was here hobnobbing and, and meeting people and taking thousands of photographs, her husband snuck into the Senate chamber to watch Richard Di Natale introduce this medicinal cannabis bill. So he was like, honey, you go off to your cancer event. I'm going to go check out the Senate. Go be a celebrity. I'm going to go listen to the introduction of this legislation. Exactly, exactly. Remember my own heart. Just casually hanging out at the Senate at 7 o'clock at night. Um, In your favourite room. (laughs) Now, we're not going to get a vote on uh, this bill until October, but... The Greens have said to me that they are quietly confident they've got the support they need from Labor, One Nation, Jackie Lambie, Darren Hinch, David Linehelm and Lucy Gachui. So it's just the Xenophon team on the crossbench and obviously the governments of the Libs and the Nats who don't support it. Okay. There we go. Stay tuned. Yeah. Now, next week, Lane, uh-huh. uh, you and me and our boy Nick Ray 
I got a New Zealand bro. Nick just threw a shaka for those who aren't in the room. <laughs> yeah, three best friends got a New Zealand to cover their federal election. It is going to be so good. It's going to be a time, man. Yeah. And I'm very excited to tell everyone that on Monday, we're going to be interviewing New Zealand Labor leader Jacinda Arden on Twitter, live on Twitter on Monday. So it'll be 5 o'clock Australian time, 7 o'clock New Zealand time. But um, uh, if you're too busy on 5 o'clock on a Monday to watch a, a Twitter periscope, which I'm sure heaps of people are, uh, we'll, we'll, ch- we'll chuck the interview in the podcast and we're going to yep. interview a whole bunch of uh, people as well and, you know, just do things you do when you go to New Zealand, like hang out with Max Key and eat a whole bunch of kiwi fruit. Yeah, and hang out with hobbits. Yeah, and talk about um, chili buns. And yep. and chops. There is so much New Zealand content to come next week. It is very yeah, exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to work on my accent over the weekend. So uh, let's... Uh... <laughs> I, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to say a big thank you, Nick, Ray. Obviously, you are excellent. See you in New Zealand next week. Josh Taylor, Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes and the whole pod team. Uh, big thank you to Rode Microphones for supporting the podcast. You can go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Leave a rating and review. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Workman Alice. She's at Lane Sainty. I am. Please tweet me about the postal survey. If you are committing fraud of <laughs> do, some kind, wait, do, please do, slide into my DMs. Wait, so if people want to commit fraud, they should tell you? <laughs> yeah, tell me. <laughs> okay. I'll have to ask the police for comments, so, you know. Well, you called but the AFP today, so. <laughs> I did. They were, <laughs> I don't know how happy they were to receive my call. But before we go, Alice, yep. we are recording this on the day that yes. Turnbull knifed Abbott to become the Prime Minister. That's mm. right. It's been two years since our last leadership spill. So well done, Australia, for going two years. <laughs> we did it, guys. We did it. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. So, Alice, on this very important anniversary of it being on, Mm. do you think it's on? I don't think it's on, but I think Mm. on that note, the leadership anniversary, Turnbull also this week has surpassed Abbott's length in office Mm -hmm. of two years. So he's now overtaken him and every single day gets a day ahead of the time that Tony Abbott was in office, which I'm sure would uh, be very upsetting uh, to, to poor backbencher Tony Abbott, who's um, off been, he's been off fighting bushfires this week. Hasn't even been in Parliament. Oh, he, he was in Parliament today. Yeah, but he was off fighting bushfires oh, yesterday. Oh, this week. He got a yeah. pair so we could go back to New South Wales and yeah, fight there was, bushfires. Yeah, there was some pretty, pretty um, cool. Um, yeah. Now, it's not on, Lane. I said it's not on, but you, you know did. what is on? What? The fence. The fence. Now, the fence, my arch nemesis... The fence that is being built around this beautiful building, Parliament House in Canberra, they started putting it up this week. So that's the we talked we've talked about it before. The 2.6 meter security fence around the building. It's part of the 126 million dollars worth of security upgrades to the building. And at the time, you might recall that um, uh, they when they were giving out they they haven't really given out all the details of it, but they'd said that they knew that it was going to be really ugly, so they were considering putting foliage over it to make it less ugly. Well, it started going up and I can confirm it is, in fact, heaps ugly. So this there just we go. In. This just in. Fence ugly. Fence ugly. Well. But you like the fence, don't you, Lane? I, I don't like the fence. I just don't care about the fence. <laughs> I don't have strong feelings about okay, the fence. Okay, Nick's giving us the wind-up signal. That's <laughs> okay. all we got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you from Hobbiton next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.